You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In an offseason that's already featured more chaos at quarterback with movement all over the place than we could have ever imagined, more than we've ever seen, there is one domino still left to at least be figured out, and it's Lamar Jackson. How did they get things worked out in Baltimore? War- Baltimore. Well, every single day that there isn't a new deal is a new day that people speak for Lamar. Today, he spoke for himself. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and Sarah, you know, the, this is what happens whenever there's not a contract signed. Everybody just starts wild speculation about what that means and what it could mean and where there's a problem. And we saw this with the Cowboys when they were negotiating with every one of their stars along the way. But with Lamar Jackson, because he doesn't have an agent and because he is coming off of such tremendous success in the regular season, but they haven't won a Super Bowl. There's all of these little questions that people want to look to. And one of the questions was, was he even happy? Lamar went to Twitter to say, I love my Ravens. I don't know who the hell putting that false narrative out that I'm having thoughts about leaving. Stop trying to read my mind with the eye roll emoji. But this is what's going to happen because we've seen such money go out over the last few days that now you look at it and say, how do the Ravens work this out with Lamar? Yeah, I, I, I think they will. I think there are a lot of questions about whether Lamar sees that Deshaun Watson contract and just says, that's it. I'm not taking less. And if that's the case, the entire market is forever changed. And you got a whole lot of teams looking to the Burrow and the Herbert and the rest of those guys and just shaking their heads at the amount of money that is going to have to be spent on them. If the Ravens, and now there is a whole NFL's worth of teams looking at the Ravens, crossing their fingers and praying that they can somehow convince Lamar to get more in line with what we saw for someone like Aaron Rodgers than what we saw for Watson, because if not, this has major effects on the rest of the league. What What's funny about that is, you know, something you've talked about a lot that I think you're really right is how often we just all seem to take the side of our favorite team when it comes to virtually everything. In most of the world, I want my friends to have wild success. Like, whatever just tremendous wealth that you can get, Sarah, I want you to have it. Like, I want you to be the billionaire that the internet thinks you are, right? Like, I want all of that for my friends. (laughs) I want that for people whose work I I respect. What's funny to me is that when we look at NFL contracts, the first thing all of us think as fans is, well, that guy can't get paid too much because then what's it mean for my guy over here? Like, it's a weird part of fandom that I'm actually looking around, and not me, but many fans are looking around saying, well, we can't pay that quarterback that much because if we do, then this quarterback can't make that much. Like, it is wild to me that in a world where most of the world we'd be looking at it saying, Lamar should go get every dollar he possibly can. It's like, well, within reason, because we don't want the economic structure to change in the league. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this a lot on the show, Fitz. Sports is one of the few places where people tend to side with the man uh, instead of, you know, the the, the the average person or the worker. Um, in this case, I do think you look around, and we have yet to solve the long, long-asked question of can you win a Super Bowl if your quarterback is X percentage uh, quarterback is X percentage of your salary cap, right? We've been looking for examples of teams that have found success with extremely highly paid quarterbacks, and we've been finding examples of uh, on both sides of the argument. And I think um, until you have real proof that you can surround a super high-paid quarterback with enough talent still to win, 
there will always be a hesitance around that needle continuing to move and that number continuing to go up, particularly when it makes a leap like $80 million guaranteed, which is not something uh, that we've seen before. And those those numbers were big before the Watson deal. Yeah, well, and, and you start thinking about that portion of it. And I guess it, the, the hard part is that I sit here every year and look at teams and I say, well, you got to have a quarterback. You got to have a quarterback. Then you get a quarterback and it's like, well, you better win right now because you only have this five-year window. And then at the end of the five-year window, it's like, well, you can't pay the guy. Like, it's such a weird system. If you've got Lamar Jackson and you're the Ravens, you don't have a damn choice. Like, you're not going to let Lamar Jackson walk out the building. He knows he has all the leverage. He knows that they're not going to let him leave. They can't let him leave. And if they do let him leave, they have no assurance that they'd be getting absolutely anybody that could replace him. There's no chance. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Deshaun Watson, since 2019, has the second-best total QBR in the entire NFL, behind only Patrick Mahomes and ahead of Aaron Rodgers. He had a bit of an up-and-down season. The Ravens didn't have the season that we expected. And actually, maybe maybe we did expect it because of all the injuries, but they just weren't the talk of the NFL like in years past. And maybe that's why there's a little bit luster lost on Lamar. People are still questioning just how far he can take a team. But you can't argue against the talent that he has what's been interesting is to watch um, how teams decide whether to talk openly or more oblique opaquely I guess I should say opaquely about these deals because Steve Bishotti the uh, owner of the Ravens was at the NFL meetings and I thought was uncharacteristically open as far as owners are about what the Watson contract means for uh, for Lamar it's like damn I wish they hadn't guaranteed the whole contract I don't know that he should have been the first guy to get a fully guaranteed contract. Um, to me, that's something that that is groundbreaking, and it'll make negotiations harder with others. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to play that game. Mm. Mm. Really. Really, like I, I mean, the concept that that with everything else that has happened for Deshaun Watson, that he got everything fully guaranteed, like it's all in the bag, no matter what happens at this point. The concept that Lamar Jackson is going to come in today and take anything less than fully guaranteed makes absolutely no sense. Like the only justification the Ravens can give at the negotiating table is, "Hey, Lamar, do this because it really helps us out." And if I'm Lamar in the world of football, I'm not sure why I should give a damn about that. Yeah, agreed. There isn't really an argument unless they can finesse it enough to, to point to someone like Tom Brady and say, look, you need to make a decision. Are you about making the most money or are you about winning the most games? And that's going to be something that they're going to have to try to convince him uh, that his salary and the amount of money he gets will be a big deciding factor in which of those. Now, I did hear earlier on NFL Today a uh, quote from from Lamar saying something that he'd learned uh, from LeBron was that he wants to be a billionaire, mm. a mm. billionaire with a B like people think I am on the internet. Sadly, not true. Uh, and I mean, that, Sarah, that might like, give us a hint at what he's going to pursue here in these negotiations. Well, like I, I've got friends that we work with that, that are genuine, true, incredible people that I love to death that have the number of times I hear the phrase, Hey, know your worth, know what you're worth, like mm-hmm. to the company, to, to media, to sports, like know your worth. Like that's a real thing for a lot of people. I will never fault an athlete for looking around and being like, Hey, 
I realize that you guys want more profits, but I realize you guys want to build a big team, but this is my chance to get paid. And we talk all the time about the risk these guys give themselves with injuries, with, with what it could mean for CTE later in their life. Everything else that factors into this, like I, 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 it's a cute concept that we all have as fans that players should take less, and I think it just absolutely failed. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over 700 bucks on average. Now, the only good way to try and replace any player on your roster is with the draft, and that means it's mock draft season. Mike Tannenbaum, Mike Tannenbaum I'm going to learn to speak, will join us next for his latest mock draft with an interesting twist. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, represented by Progressive Insurance. And a little reminder for all you draft fanatics, I'll be doing some digital work, so be sure to check it out. Speaking of the draft, let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Let's get it all broken down from one of the best in the business, ESPN NFL front office insider Mike Tannenbaum. We'll get to the mock draft stuff in a second, obviously, uh, as Mike has got a mock draft out there that is interesting. It's different than most mock drafts in the sense that this mock draft is what he would actually do, who he would draft through his eyes. Really interesting exercise. But before we get to any of that, we got to get into quarterback contracts, Mike, because we have Lamar Jackson uh, tweeting out saying he loves Baltimore, but there is no long-term deal, and we see the numbers for Deshaun Watson. How did Deshaun Watson's fully guaranteed contract uh, change the way everybody will negotiate moving forward? You know, it's interesting. I just spent a couple days at the Breakers Hotel um, at the league meeting, and everyone is keeping an eye on what happens with Lamar Jackson because Deshaun Watson increased the fully guaranteed amount from approximately 150 to $230 million. And if Lamar Jackson gets that, guys, the quarterback market will change forever. So the eyes of the football world are closely watching that negotiation. Do you think it makes it more or less difficult for the Ravens to negotiate with Lamar and try to avoid resetting the bar for quarterback contracts when he has no agent? Does that make it less uh, difficult or maybe easier for them or, or more difficult for them to, to figure out how to prevent him from demanding and sticking with that ask? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've been there in my career. I generally did not like dealing with players because there's a role for agents, which is being a buffer. And this is a, right. a, a really interesting situation, guys, because basically what Lamar Jackson could do is walk in and say, hey, I'm not asking for $1 more than what Deshaun Watson get. However, I am not taking $1 less. So if you want to pay this $230 million bill, fantastic. I would love to be a Raven. However, if you don't, no problem, because I'm very confident based on what I've accomplished, somebody will. Is there ever really going to be a line in the sand, though? I mean, Mike, being real, if you if your team's got a quarterback like Lamar, you're kind of you're on the wrong side of the negotiations. You're right; you got to pay him. Yeah, well, uh, that's where we start getting creative with verbs, Jason. We're going to beg, cajole. We're going to keep going and just saying, "Hey, look, Aaron Rodgers." Matthew Stafford, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, they all had this sort of rolling guarantee where they got substantial guarantees upwards of $150 million, but nobody has $230 million fully guaranteed, Lamar. So we love you. We care deeply about you. 
here's nine other deals that we think make a ton of sense for you and the organization. We just think that the Browns are complete outliers, and let's figure out something that makes sense for everybody. Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Mike Tannenbaum about all the NFL contract talks. Uh, is the wide receiver market changing the same way? Uh, you know, after Devontae, um, do we do we expect that it's going to be tough for, you know, teams to be able to get that top talent without going near that number? Yeah, that's a great point, too. Um, it certainly could be. So I think that's why we're going to see so many receivers taken early because I think we're going to see other why receivers continue to graduate. And you go back to the Cowboys' decision, trading Amari Cooper to Cleveland. I'm sure they were saying, hey, with the 24th pick, we could take Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson. And while he may not be as good as Amari Cooper, he's not $20 million uh, worse. So looking at what Tyreek Hill got, Devontae Adams got, I think because there's so many good receivers that come out every year, it's a fascinating position to keep studying because the great ones are getting paid so much but the draft keeps pumping out six to eight good ones every year. Well, one of the best this year is Garrett Wilson, the Ohio State wide receiver, Mike, and you have him going fourth overall to the Jets in your mock draft, the first wide receiver off the board. Why him? Because he is, when you look at his game, he has no holes. He's fast, he's tough, he's productive. He usually makes the first defender miss, and that's what the Jets need. They need a bonafide, front-line, difference-making on the outside, going to make Elijah Moore better, Braxton Barrios better. The Jets sort of address their offensive line. And while there's a player like Drake London who's fantastic, he's more like Mike Evans, more of a power forward. When Garrett Wilson could come in and just be this elite, game-changing uh, receiver, which is what the Jets uh, definitely need. Mike, uh, I'm sure since this draft has gone out, you've heard from colleagues and folks on social media. What's the pick that most people have had a problem with? Well, I did the special with Mel and Todd, and you know they just agree with me a hundred percent. So I'm not really sure what you're alluding to, but um, I, I, I would say uh, Derek Stingley. And what's interesting about him is, you know, I had the good fortune earlier in my career, guys, uh, for working for Coach Parcells, and he had a great expression about football players play football during football season. And I know that sounds incredibly simple, but Derek Stingley, I think I took a couple of years off of. Uh, Mel's life when uh, I had him going 24 because he's played in 10 games over two years. Now, he's a really talented player, but if the three of us were running a team, we would not sleep well at night thinking that we're taking a first-round corner who wasn't healthy enough to play at LSU. How we know he's going to be able to withstand the rigors of the NFL? Now, one of those years, in fairness, was COVID, but that would scare me to death to take a corner in the first round that's played in 10 games in two years. We're talking to Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider. His mock draft is out. Uh, our producer extraordinaire, Devin, huge Giants fan. So let's get one in for him. You've got Evan Neal, the tackle, going uh, to the Giants at five. And then Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, the defensive end, the incredible rusher out of Oregon, going to the Giants at seven. That feels like an incredible haul of two really talented players. How much better does it actually make them on the field? Uh, I think they're going to be better on the field because I think they got a really good coach in Brian Dayball. And if you think about Andrew Thomas, I think he's going to settle in and be a really good left tackle. And the reason I gave them Evan Neal is I felt like he's played enough right tackle in the SEC that now you can get these bookends guys. And, and now Daniel Jones has a real chance to be better. And then Thibodeau, to me, he is the prototypical defensive end. He's long, he's twitchy, he's productive. 
If they come out of that with two blue-chip difference-making linemen, one on each side of the ball, I think your Giants, Devin, got a lot better. Look at that. I mean, Devin going to be partying all through all of this. We'll all be partying in <laughs> Vegas. Uh, you can be sure to check out Mike Tannenbaum, not only for this mock draft, but he'll also be on ESPN Radio helping to cover the draft for all three days. Mike, as always, my friend, appreciate hanging out with us. Thanks so much, and great work. Sarah, how many times a show does he mention the Raiders or Vegas? I'm just curious. Far too often. Way too, way, way too often. It does help, though, set him up for later uh, disappointment, and I've got it all on tape. I've got you know, all the uh, necessary enthusiasm and the eventual letdown. Mike, I was going to offer to buy the drinks for you in Vegas, and now you're going to have to buy the drinks for me. That's what just happened. Just happened that quickly. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks Mike. Mike. <laughs> so that's going to be the, the great question. Is like in Vegas for the draft week, does everybody buy me drinks? Because, you know, or do I have to buy everybody drinks? I don't know how that I works. I mean, I think we all know that you're going to tell everyone you're from there and you know a ton of people, and then they're going to arrive and you're not going to hook them up with anything, which is that's, exactly that's what fair. happened when I went to Vegas uh, that, this year. That's, you know, they, they, they're, they're going to come out there and they're going to provide for me because that's, that's, uh, that's exactly what it should right. Be. The good uh, news is I ended up with way better seats to that game than anything you would have gotten me, so yeah, it all worked yeah. out. Hey, but there, there was some hotel love, right? There was some hotel love. Like, that counts for That's something? true. We did get yeah. a small discount on the hotel. Which, no, it wasn't a discount. We got a slight upgrade in the room. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yes, there which you go. I did appreciate your very, very minor help in that. Look, look at that. I, I, I like to think of myself <laughs> as very, very major. Thank you. Uh, but Mike, Mike Tannenbaum will be doing great uh, work for radio. Radio will be covering all three days of the draft with a great crew, uh, including Shea Pepler Cornette, going to be uh, running that uh, that nice. party there, and uh, that will be a blast for them. They'll be in Baby's Vegas. Baby's first so. trip to Vegas. Oh, my God, that is going to be. <laughs> I wonder if Jordan, you know, maybe maybe Jordan goes out there, and then, like, and maybe Jordan and I just. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That no, baby I mean, might be tall enough to get a drink at this point. You always take your baby into the bar because then you can just walk <laughs> through the bar and say, watch out, baby coming through, and everybody mm-hmm. will make room. That's how you make sure you get drinks at the club. In my life experience, that's that's something. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Uh, And again, I'll be doing the digital shows uh, out there too, so we'll have a little (laughs) bit of fun. And Sarah, you should come out to the draft, and we'll just uh, you know just party in Vegas for a couple of days. That sounds rad. Let me see if I can get that paid for. Oh well, that is a, that is go a ahead and hit a BSPN see if they got a job for me. That is a key part of this. <laughs> Let's be very, very clear about that. All right, is it time for the Bucks to get the proper credit? We'll talk about Milwaukee's huge win. Look ahead at the NBA slate next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. So I took a little road trip yesterday. Fitz and I had the night off, and one of my favorite new bands, Mount Joy, was playing in Madison, a couple hours drive north of Chicago. So my friend and I headed up, and we were sitting at the bar at a place called The Old Fashioned, right in the middle of Madison. And a gal sitting next to us looked over and as this I'm sure happens to you all the time Fitz was like oh my god are you Sarah Spain mm. you know the the crying the tears the shaking very you know uh, reminiscent of the of the uh, peak Michael Jackson days uh, once she yeah. calmed down uh we wanted to talk basketball and she was like you know who you got in the finals who who you think are your favorites and you know 
we're sitting at the bar. I don't have a list in front of me. I'm just sort of extemporaneously naming off teams. Well, you know, I'm interested in the Sixers and what James Harden looks like once we get to the postseason. You know, the Nets, is this going to be a new team now that Kyrie's going to get some more consistency across the field? The Suns, I don't know how you count out the Suns. I've, I've gotten to like five teams and I'm still blabbing on. And she goes, hey, what about the Bucks?" And I was like, what the Spain? God darn it. I've been doing this all season. I keep forgetting about the Bucks, And I know why it is, Fitz. It's because they're not dramatic enough. They haven't lost any significant players to long, long stretches due to Ill- injury. Nobody is boycotting vaccines. Uh, they aren't fighting with each other. No one has demanded a trade. They're just a really good basketball team with one of the greatest players ever leading the way that are coming off a championship. And we are rudely, I think, not talking about them enough because there isn't enough drama. I mean, when you start thinking about last night, Giannis blocks Embiid uh, with a couple of seconds left, the Bucks get the big win. That puts them in the second in the East. And what's funny about that is the conversation that's created out of it typically right now is all about, well, what's Philly need to do? It's rarely about, oh, maybe we should start recognizing how good Milwaukee is. And uh, the, the extra layer of shock to me comes from the fact that the, the defending champions. Like it, it was a year ago, basically. Now that we were all sitting here saying, "Well, if Budenholzer doesn't win at all, then yeah. you know, is he going to have see. job security issues and blah blah blah?" And like now we're sitting here not even paying attention to what they do most <laughs> nights because it's just and the we're uh, the trash. crazy like Giannis is super <laughs> likable too. Like it's yes. one of those like he's such an easy guy to root for and to 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 watch play and like. I sit here and look at all of it. And it's like he's super rich. He's super good. He's super cool. He also says tinkle, which means we're basically the mm-hmm. same person. Like all of these things are reasons that we should be paying attention and watching the Bucks. And most teams right now, we'd be like, oh, defending champions, you can't knock these Bucks off. We forget they're even in the we're conversation. Not we're not doing no? it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You're right about Giannis. Great life story. Plays with his brothers in the league. You know, has that charisma, that smile, all the things. And then he shows up to pressers with dad jokes. That was something up with a joke. Uh, what do you call a cow on the floor? Anybody know? Ground beef. <laughs> I mean, how do you not love that guy? The way uh, he laughed are... at it, too. Like, yeah, like, he it's laughed at just... his own joke. It was so yeah. good. <laughs> uh, Giannis. <laughs> Uh, leading the way for a, a really, really impressive Bucks team that we're honestly not talking about enough because we are talking about teams like the Sixers and our fascination with what it looks like when you put uh, James Harden on that team next to Joel Embiid midway through the season. And before last night's game, uh, where Harden, by the way, had a nice game despite the miss at the end there, um, but he's been inconsistent since he got there. And you never know if it's entirely health or otherwise, but Tim Legler, before that game last night, said he just hasn't seen what he needs from Harden so far. Right now, he can't beat that initial defender to get off a decent shot in the paint, particularly against the better teams. I mean, you look at how poorly he played against Brooklyn. Uh, he sat twice against the Heat. He did not play well against Phoenix the other night. So when they Chicago, when they've played the better teams, he has really struggled. And I think right now there's some serious concern in Philadelphia that they have a version of James Harden that is not what they expected, and it may be not good enough to get them, depending on the matchup, even out of the first round, depending on how this plays out. I mean, you have four teams that could be the number one seed. If they end up in a four spot, they could be in trouble. 
uh, pretty quickly, and what a disappointment that would be. But I think it really centers around James Harden. Sarah, I think part, and part of what surprises me there is what Leg says, they got something that was not what they expected. And that's the one answer that I don't know we're allowed to give in this situation. Like, they should have known exactly. Like, nobody was going to know Harden better than Maury acquiring him, right? Like, we, we looked at all of this mm-hmm. and said, well, it's going to make sense because they know him and because they know exactly what they're getting. And now it's like, well, they didn't get what they thought they got. I mean, that's a buyer beware statement that says more about the organization right. than Harden. I totally agree with you, and th- that's the point is his his inconsistency should be something that Maury knows, right? It's not just that you can get him at his peak. You know that you also run the risk of getting a guy who forgets how to basketball, which is the thing we like to say about mm. him and have for a number of years, especially in the postseason. It's not all about James Harden. Of course, the team has to adjust, but that is what's always been a problem for me with him, especially down the stretch of seasons and when it's the biggest moments, is you just don't know if you're getting 50 points and one of the most creative scorers in history or a guy who just doesn't always look like he wants to be there or doesn't have what it takes. And Brian Windhorst, uh, ESPN NBA reporter, um, has also talked about some of the concerns he has about this Sixers team as we get closer to the postseason. They keep blowing leads. You know, really good teams don't blow leads. And, you know, some of it is on Doc Rivers. And, in fact, Joel Embiid, I don't want to say the word dig, but he twisted Doc Rivers a little bit last night when he said, next time we play the Bucks, I should be on the court while Giannis is on the court. Because he came out of the game and Giannis was out there. He and Harden were on the bench and they went on this big run. When you look at a team consistently blow late-game leads with these two types of players, it starts to make you really worried. Because when you look at their path, where they might have to be Boston and maybe Brooklyn mm-hmm. and maybe uh, Milwaukee. You start to wonder, how are they going to get 12 wins if they're this susceptible <laughs> to holding on the lead? Yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, and well, and all of this speaks – it's rare that I get to say this, Sarah, so I'm going to say it like the little brother that I am. God, I told you so. Not you, but just the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was really easy in the beginning to look at all of this and say, hey, it's going to work out. Everything's going to be great. And – the question is always, okay, it's fine when guys are first playing together and it's a, just a whole bag of Cheetos and everybody's happy. What happens when things start to go wrong? And how does it get fixed? And how do you get guys on the same page? And what do you do when you have a bunch of epic players that are incredibly talented, but you got to figure out how to bring them together? I mean, there are so many variables to this that we saw coming that we thought could be a nightmare situation. So when it starts to play out like that a little bit, mm-hmm. I have to look at it and say, what the hell did we expect? Yeah, yeah, and if you recall the very first day Harden arrived, Embiid was like, he's not the guy everyone says. He's amazing. He's got a great Mm -hmm. attitude. And then, like, three games in, it was like, are we already starting to see cracks in the Sixers? It was just so inevitable. Uh, We got some really good ones tonight. Heater at the Celtics at 7.30, Suns at the Warriors at 10 p.m. right here on ESPN Radio following an extra-large uh, Spain and Fitz. So that coverage starts at 9.30 Eastern. Fitz, I also quickly want, you know, we were talking about – the Sixers, and as Windhorse rattled off some of the potential meetings in the postseason, one he did not mention is Toronto. The Celtics and the Sixers, when asked about potential games in Toronto in the postseason, quote, declined to say if their teams are fully vaccinated. That means Mm. they ain't, because (laughs) all the teams that did not decline and offered up the information that they are indeed fully vaccinated, uh, did so freely. The Heat and the Bucks confirmed that they're fully vaccinated. They would have no issues there. But the Celtics and the Sixers, within one loss of each other, uh, uh, and the Bucks and the Heat, all of them within one loss of each other at the top of the standings, 
could be in any order when the regular season ends come April 10th. And that means any one of them could possibly go to Toronto. And Fitz, we don't know who it is. Maybe Al Horford is is the rumor that is not available. Jason Tatum did tell ESPN he was fully vaccinated on media day. Um, but that's that's a big question mark. It's something we've mostly focused on Kyrie because we know for sure that he isn't. But uh, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and it's a nightmare scenario for the NBA that they can't do anything about because this isn't just about Game 7s. I know we'll all look at it and say, oh, my God, what if a Game Sevens in Toronto and a star is not available? If we're talking about an East that's as close as we all think it is, a Game 1 makes a difference. A Game 2 makes it, right? Mm-hmm. So any of these games where you're looking at it suddenly saying, well, now for several of these there could be stars unavailable, like that is a – the league's going to have to figure out how to navigate some really tricky situations with their storytelling there as well. And somebody suggested potentially, do they move games from Toronto to a neutral location? Absolutely not. Hell no. That is an absolute joke. You're not punishing the Raptors for the policies of Canada, nor for uh, their ability and availability. So um, the only solution would be that that team that did not have a fully vaccinated player would be uh, without him for the games in Toronto. So I'm going to keep an eye on NBA is on ESPN radio. Tune in tonight as the Warriors host the Suns presented by indeed coverage begins at 9 30 PM Eastern on most ESPN radio stations coming up. CJ McCollum back in Portland tonight as the Pelicans take on his former team, the Blazers. He joined me on my podcast to talk about what it was like to get traded. We'll hear it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's smooth. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I don't know if you've ever heard of this little podcast called That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Oh. Heard great things about it. Great guests, too. This week, the guest, none other than CJ McCollum, friend of the show. And I'm sad, Fitz, because, you know, the Blazers, they were like kind of like our show team. We loved our guy Terry Stotts, CJ, Dame. And now all the pieces have been broken apart, sent in all different directions. Damien Lowe, the only man standing out in Portland. But CJ McCollum in Portland tonight as his Pelicans head to face his old team. He got traded in February, came on my podcast this week, and talked about both why he was at peace with the trade when it happened and also how difficult it is midway through a season to get dropped into a brand new team. It's, uh, it's a little thing we like to call around here, nod to the pod. Here's this week's Nod to the Pod. I was okay with it. I'm thankful that I was able to be involved in a part of the process for the transition. It eventually became the trade. And like you you said, uh, I wasn't caught off guard. I wasn't surprised. I've seen a lot of players go through um, difficult surprises at difficult times. You're like, find out on Twitter. I don't on Twitter, find out at the gas station. I've heard guys find out on their drive to practice. You know, I mean, there's a lot of situations and instances in which this could have gone really, really bad. And I think the relationship that we had up to that point kind of showed the trust that, you know, both sides had. Obviously, I meant a lot to that community. The community meant a lot to me. That organization, the franchise meant a lot to me. And I like to think that I meant a lot to that uh, franchise as well. And I think that we reciprocated love and that's how it should have been. It was a happy breakup. I've seen some ugly ones. I've been a part of some ugly ones in my past and it's not it's not fun. It's, it's not necessary. When you can prevent it, when you can be upfront, communication can be the way it should be. I think that makes life easier in all aspects. It was hard. Like, even though I knew the trade was coming, I was prepared for it. I knew what team I was going to and everything. 
getting here, not knowing how to get to practice, not knowing where the arena is. I literally landed at midnight, played a game the next day at 6 p.m. Wow. And I didn't even know my way around the locker room. I was like, where do I go? Like, I had no idea where I was going, didn't know the plays. There's a lot of things that you had to get adjusted to and and become more familiar with, obviously. Gotta find a pediatrician for my son. Gotta find a new dentist, new doctor, new this, new that. Um, you know, eventually look into nannies. There's just so many things that go into it. My wife had a job in Oregon, you know what I mean? So there's a lot that we had to kind of work on in transition. It's obviously a part of the sport that we sign up for, but there's just a lot of moving parts when you have a family that a lot of people probably just don't understand. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spang on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, Fitz, it was uh, fascinating to hear him talk about basically like logistically the difficulty of showing up, but then he went on to say, I've got to learn the tendencies of every player on my new team. So, of course, I've watched tape. Of course, I've played against them. But I got to learn which side my guy likes to post up on, which which hand they most want to, you know, get the pass on the side of all of the different um, it, it, like idiosyncrasies of each of his teammates um, and do it super fast because you're in the middle of a season and you're trying to make a playoff run. The concept of having to do all of that while figuring out life is so incredible to me. And, I, you know, I moved around a lot as a kid, as a lot of people know. And, uh, you know, when you move, even as a kid, you move in the middle of a school year, you're trying to figure that out. Like, what's that look like? And what are you doing? And, you know, he mentioned there that his wife has a job. Like, okay, so she's been working she's on something dentist, that matters. To, right. Right. So, like, like she went to de- dental school. She is a doctor of dental surgery and all of that work. And it's like, oh, got to go. Yeah, and and then this moment of, okay, well, now we suddenly have to make this wild decision to either live completely apart or to settle down to whatever's next. But then whatever's next may not be permanent either because once that moving, once that revolving door starts, where does it end and when does it end? Like, those are all things that, well, and he references it there. I think it's obviously we all know that's part of what you get paid to do when when you play a professional sport. But you know, I can't imagine, I used to always say this on a tour bus, I can't imagine walking onto a tour bus and, and then finding out, hey, by the way, you don't play for us anymore. Now you play for this artist over here. Maybe you like their music, maybe you don't. By the way, they live in a different city, and now you got to figure it all out. Like, while that's part of what they get paid to do, I think it's also human to acknowledge that that has to have some impact on the human being, that it, and that will impact their work. Yeah, well... Add into that, as you talk about all the elements of life that you have to consider, that his first son, his first child, was born on January 10th, Mm. and he was (laughs) traded in February. So he and his family had to wait a certain number of weeks for all the vaccines and everything else before his wife and son could travel to come visit him. They're staying in Portland right now because of doctor's appointments and their house and everything else. CJ's just staying in a hotel in New Orleans for the remainder of this season. And he was able to see his wife and son in New Orleans last week for the first time. But when he got back to Portland last night and got to sleep in his own bed, that was the first time he'd seen his dog since he was traded. So you know how that hits with you and me. You and I don't have, we don't have kids, but we got dogs and we treat them like children, human children. And uh, so it had been, it had been a while since he'd gotten to see his dog. We don't, we don't really think about those things very often. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll go back to one of my buddies that when we were touring, uh, he had a kid uh, right in the middle of our tour season, and so he went home and he was home for I think two, three days, and then mm. we were back out for three or four weeks. And every time we would go out, we'd be gone for you know three or four weeks. When they're that small, his whole point was like, 
Yeah, you know, she wasn't going to remember that he wasn't around, but she's so different in three weeks, you know, and, and so much has changed in the way she looks and the way she yeah. acts. And like, yeah. you miss all of that stuff. I can't imagine just just the human element. We, you know, I love the fact that as a society, we spend more time talking about the mental aspect of what professional athletes go through. I just, my heart breaks a little bit for CJ knowing that like, hey, this is now a season of transition and it happens at that, pot, that point mm-hmm. in your life. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking about my podcast. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. CJ McCollum, the guest this week. And he talked a little bit about Zion, his expectations and hopes for him, how much he's willing to be a mentor for him. You know, we don't think of CJ as being a super old guy. He's 30, but uh, he's been in the league nine seasons. And Mm. the, the Trailblazers went to the playoffs every single year since he got drafted. He's been a bench player a starter. He's now the president of the NBA Players Association. This is a guy that has filled every role. And so for him to join a team like the Pelicans that's very young and be able to have an influence on Zion uh, is huge. And he takes that responsibility super seriously. Um, and you remember there was some some waves made when he got there and said that he hadn't talked to him yet. Zion hadn't called him. He hadn't been able to get in touch. Um, but they have since now that Zion's back in, in New Orleans and That Pelicans team is a fascinating one because most of our focus has been on Zion being gone, working away from the team, and whether or not he's on his way out. And in the meantime, you know, this is a team that's sitting in the ninth spot in the Western Conference, two spots above the Lakers that we Mm. spend all damn day talking about no matter how bad they are. It's pretty (laughs) wild. Well, and and all of that comes back to, you know, I'll tie that back to our conversation about Lamar Jackson earlier. And so often we look at, at, as fans, we'll look at certain guys and say, hey, you got to take less and you got to do more to help your team and you got to do all of these different things. And then you think about what's asked of all of the, especially the greats for any franchise, the other things that are, that are asked, the sacrifices in life, the sacrifices in leadership, all the things that you're asked to do uh, by an organization that can at any point decide that they no longer want you and they can mm-hmm. just ship you off to somebody else. Like it just, it just and, and I, I'm glad to hear that his trade situation wasn't handled that way. But yes. even when it's handled well, it's still so difficult that it's just another reason why athletes look out for themselves, rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think it's nice to hear, though, the way things ended because we do hear some of the horror stories of players who – um, you know, we just saw it in Seattle. Uh, who was it? I'm, I'm blanking. It's uh, anyway, uh, longtime Seattle, one of the best Seahawks oh, yeah. players uh, ever. Bobby Wagner. Yeah. Thank you, Bobby Wagner. Um, and just unceremoniously sort of dumped by the team. So listen to the full podcast. Great stuff from CJ. Speaking of great stuff, Duke UNC Saturday. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's the game of the year. The game of the century. The game of the millennium. The single greatest college basketball game of all time. You're right over okay. there. You know, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm leaning into it, Sarah. Like okay, I feel like okay. the more my hype, I, in fairness, I thought hour it, and change here. So just you know, keep it together. I thought it was going to be a wild, wild week of overhyping Duke, North Carolina. And it turns out so far, it's just been sufficiently hyped. And I'm pleasantly surprised. Spain and Fitz <laughs> on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel, lady, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by progressive insurance. And this game means so much to everybody. It will be the focus on Saturday of the final four. I know there's two games, but who cares about the other one? Let's get into this one with KJ Smith, ACC network analyst, former North Carolina Tar Heel. Uh, KJ, thanks for the time. Man, really appreciate you uh, for all of the conversation about what this game means for Coach K. If you're playing for North Carolina, how do you compartmentalize that and just go out and do your job? 
Well, Jason, first off, I don't think I've heard anybody hype it up as much as you just did right now. The game, <laughs> the best game ever. <laughs> um, Thank you. So I'm excited. I got I got my ticket, so I, I'm, I'm hoping it lives up to the hype. But as a Carolina player, I think it's the same for them going into the, their game at Carolina or the game at uh, Duke the second time. You know, all the pressure was really on Duke because it was Coach K's final game. However, this time it's kind of an even level playing field uh, because they're both going for something and they're both going for that, you know, national championship title. Um, it's going to be fun, but I think, you know, it being Coach K's last game and everything, I think that's kind of out the window. All right, let's get down to brass tacks here. I know that when you're playing, you have to say, we, you know, every game, one at a time. I'm not circling anything on the calendar, but you are no longer with the team, so you can be honest with us. How much did you hate Duke? And how much did you look forward to the opportunities to try to beat them? Well, Sarah, when I first got to campus, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was get a haircut. And I walk into the barbershop, and they don't ask me how the team's looking this year. They're, they ask me, are we going to be Duke? And I honestly <laughs> think they should start just handing out rings for, you know, beating Duke two times in a year because that's what everybody wants to do. You know, if you beat Duke two times, and, and lose every other game, you know, that's a successful season sometimes. That's how, that's how the UNC fan treats it. Um, but as far as hatred, it's, it's not a hatred. It's, it's a respect. You know, I text I, – I was always in communications with coaches on, and players on the Duke side. After their first game, actually, when they beat Kentucky in Madison Square Garden, I texted Nolan Smith and I said, look, man, y- y'all are going to make it to the Final Four. This team looks hungry. And, you know, here they are. Uh, a couple months later um, in the Final Four playing against UNC. It's going to be a great game Saturday. I'm excited. I mean, KJ, you mentioned the hunger, but what else is it? Why Why did so many of us miss this North Carolina team's chance to get this far? Well, because they weren't always this good. Right now they're playing their best basketball. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, one, it takes some adjusting to get to um, – uh, being a great level basketball, but adjusting uh, when you have a new coach and Hubert Davis, you know, this is his first time doing this last year. He was on an assistant coach. He was my assistant coach and he never thought that he was going to be the head coach, you know, last year, this time. So once you have a new coach and you guys get adjusted, all right, this is our roles here. Here's how we play. Here's our system. Here's our rotation. You see, they're only playing seven, eight guys. Um, then that's how you get hot and get in a role. And, and a, the biggest thing right now is they're playing with confidence. So you, you, nobody missed it early because they weren't playing like it early. I, I did a game where they were down at 25 at halftime at Miami, and I didn't know what to say. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the same team that's playing in the Final Four uh, Saturday. Yeah, I think you could say that about both teams, too. Not as much enthusiasm and expectation for Duke until the tournament started. We saw them get through some tough times, and a lot of people feeling a lot better about this young squad. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to KJ Smith, ACC Network analyst, former UNC Tar Heel. KJ, the haters would say you're too young to really understand the gravity of this meeting, that you at 26, 27, you're, you just couldn't understand what it means for these two teams to finally meet in the tournament after 500 plus meetings. But your dad, Kenny Smith has his Jersey in the rafters at UNC. And I'm sure you grew up and spent your entire life really understanding this rivalry way more than most people your age. So what can you tell us about what it means, especially in coach K's last season to finally get this match up here? 
Well, I would say I know it more than most just because I've been in it. Um, I think 99% of the the people that say that, you know, I I wouldn't understand it, which I I haven't heard. Um, They haven't been in the locker room before prepping for this team all week, you know, and a scouting reporter and watching film on them. They haven't done that, and I have. But I will say, you know, the basketball gods, the script writers couldn't have wrote a better story coming into this Coach K final season. It's never been done before, and now Coach K gets to play UNC to either beat them or lose to them in the final game of his career. And I mean, or second to final if he makes it to the championship. So it's it's honestly it's going to be fun. But as, as far as the haters, we don't we don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to KJ Smith, ACC Network analyst, former North Carolina Tar Heel, and you know it's funny because when you talk about North Carolina Duke, so much of it is about North Carolina versus Coach K. What's this rivalry look like to you in a couple of years when Coach K isn't the coach at Duke anymore? Um, well, you know, we're going to have to see next year, not in a couple of years. Um, John Shire is a great coach, and he filled in for uh, Coach K one game at Wake Forest. And just some of the plays he diagrammed, he really coaches his team well, and I'm excited to see what he does there. I think especially with Hubert Davis being in the Final Four, he's proven to be, you know, a great coach in the making. Um, and so I hope John Shire is the same so we can continue this rivalry forever. All right, so when we get to this game on Saturday, we've been talking so much about the hype and the history. What's the actual key to victory? Who has to show up? What has to go right for UNC to get the win? For UNC, they have four guys between Manic, R.J. Davis, Armando, and Caleb Love who are capable of scoring 30 points. One of them needs to do that. One of them needs to have a scoring outburst in order for them to defeat this Duke team. Um, and they really need to lock in on defense. I think Leakey's going to have to play a big part on A.J. Griffin. Um, and, you know, they have a monster on their team in Paolo Bencaro. But I think they need to try to outscore them. And one of those four players that I mentioned has to go for 25 to 30. Will that happen? Are we, I'm going to make, make a prediction here. Well, well, look, I can't, I'm not – my job is not – I analyze. I can't – I don't bet on sports. I, look, I see the game. I call it like I see it. I think, honestly, you know, it's four different guys going into the Final Four have led this team in scoring in, in those games. So it's hard to predict what's going to happen. I, I mean, we, we just have to wait and see. That's the beauty of it. Well, uh, first and foremost, enjoy the experience. Enjoy being around it. It is an incredible moment for both programs and uh, for all of us that are watching. KJ, appreciate you joining us. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks, you KJ. Can, you can follow him on Twitter at K30Smith. Uh, you know, great work for Like, the excitement is there. And, and Sarah, I, I, it's going to be warming interesting. Up. Uh, warming you know, up I'm, to it. You know I'm what? St- you know. All grown up. Uh, well, uh, one, one step at a time. Now that I've <laughs> given that matchup all of the hype it could possibly uh, deserve, now I get to go Ugh, about Tiger. Wait, wait, wait. Why? Because we <laughs> might be on Tiger Watch. Wait, is the U.S. men's national team going to make the World Cup? We'll talk about everything. We got quickies <laughs> coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. 
We have so much to get to tonight, and even though it's an extra-large Spain and Fitz with an extra half-hour leading you into NBA action, we still are not going to have enough time, which means quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. It was a battle all season long, and we finally got our answer on the Naismith Player of the Year Aaliyah Boston versus Caitlin Clark was the question. And Aaliyah Boston earns the honor South Carolina star, also defensive player of the year. Impressive, impressive from that young lady. Uh, Don Staley, coach of South Carolina, also wins Naismith coach of the year for the second time. Uh, so a sweep of the trophies for South Carolina ladies ahead of the final four. Fitz, you got to believe there's a little bit of a boost in confidence and swagger heading into this uh, this final four game for Boston and for Don Staley. Yeah, and it just speaks to how dominant they've been. It's the ability to have the, the very heated debate on who should have won it this year uh, speaks to something I say all the time, how many great players there are right now in women's mm-hmm. college basketball. But I, I don't think that anybody can hold a candle to Boston. While I say that, I will also acknowledge that my own bias and favoritism towards Caitlin Clark and the her ability to shoot from literally anywhere on the court for <laughs> Iowa has been a joy to watch. But uh, that doesn't take anything. like It just doesn't hold a candle to how dominant Boston's been. Yeah, and I think that that's what it is. It's like highlight real stuff versus just consistent greatness across. And, and that's not to say Caitlin Clark hasn't been consistently great, but I think a lot of people have seen highlights of Clark and maybe haven't watched Boston on both sides of the floor all season long. So congrats to her. Next story. Quickies. Speaking of women's basketball, for the first time, ESPN's coverage of the women's Final Four is going to include action across all of the uh, different ESPN networks, including the megacast-type coverage where you can either watch the regular coverage on ESPN or tune into the Bird and Tarazi show with Sue Bird and Diana Tarazi on a different network offering up commentary, talking about their experiences in the tournament. These are best friends and two of the greatest players of all time. I am so here for the megacast. Yeah, that, I mean, megacasts in general just appeal to my senses. I, I, I love watching any opportunity uh, for you know people to casually watch and have a good time while they do it. But to get the level of education that you get from them also from mm-hmm. two people that have that, uh, just the, the, the friendship and the bond that you have when you're working with somebody that you have that relationship with, I mean, that is unbeatable. Frankly, I would take that for anything. Like, I would take the two of them together if they just wanted to commentate on, you know, literally anything that we've Pizza, ever broadcast. ice yeah. cream flavors. No, there we go. Literally wouldn't that even be sports. I would just sit and listen to those two chop it up. They're going to be on ESPN2, UN+. Throughout the Final Four in the championship, and uh, also going to have that spec- second spectrum tracking technology in the MegaCast and a bunch of other really cool um, things that we just haven't seen for for our women's coverage before. So awesome on that front! All right, next story. Quickies. You mentioned it earlier in the show. We are on Tiger Woods' watch. There is a lot of speculation that he is going to make a return at the Masters after he was spotted with a little leaked footage of him doing a practice round. Uh, our, our buddy Michael Collins, a.k.a. Caddy, was on uh, ESPN uh, uh, Sports Center uh, talking about this and what it could mean for the Masters if Tiger ends up playing. 
The Tiger Masters watch really ramped up late last week when a since-deleted video of Tiger playing at medalist showed up online. Like I said, it has been deleted. But what made that video a little bit different for Tiger playing his home course was that Tiger was, one, walking, and two, his full-time caddy, Joe LaCava, was there caddying for him. Now, why that's a big deal is this. Tiger talked about at the father-son that him, his big thing was stamina. And mm -hmm. walking the Masters is just one of the toughest walks out there. So the fact that Tiger was at Augusta today, he did play all 18 holes with Charlie and with Justin Thomas. They walked that golf course, and now for Tiger, it's all about not only how he feels after those 18 holes, but if he, can, if he thinks he can do it for four straight days and, you know, getting some practice rounds in as well. So Tiger being on that list to play, that's a good sign for everyone in golf. Okay, we're going to give you Tiger Watch as we get updates on it, but end the music, stop the segment. This is no longer quickies. Holy cow. Breaking news, Fitz. Per Peter King, Bruce Arians is retiring from coaching and is moving to work in the Bucks' front office, and defensive coordinator Todd Bowles has been picked to replace him. The staff is being told the news now. I would assume that includes Tom Brady, unless he got a personal phone call. You do have to wonder if he makes that same decision to come back if he knew that Arians was out. But there were some reports that part of the reason he walked away was because he didn't like the, the – there, there were some rubs near the end. Like there was some differences in the play in the play calling and what there should be and uh, some some issues between Arians and Byron Lefrich and and uh, Brady about how the, how the game plan was going to run. And uh, there were some of those rumors as Brady retired. So now it's a little stunning to me to see Brady back and now Arians goes to the front office where if that was the case – that rub is now gone. So it, this is – we're going to get a 30 for 30 someday on if there was a power struggle here or – I have no idea. I am I am stunned to see an organization that 24 hours ago looked like they at least had the, the one thing you could you could say is stability going into this season. Mm -hmm. and, and now you look at all of it and you say, okay, everything's up in the air. Listen, for the rumors of conflict between the two of them, it's you can't deny the success. Right. I mean – in back-to-back -back years, he was putting up record career numbers. In his two seasons in Tampa Bay, 83 touchdowns, 9,949 passing yards, all-time highs for him during a two-year period at almost 45 years old. Um, it's wild. It, it's, a, it's a wild story. Now, obviously, they had a succession plan in place. They're not going looking. They clearly, both Arians and the Bucks wanted Bulls to be his successor. But, man, I mean, it, this is this is shocking news to me, particularly because he's not retiring because of, I, I would assume, at least as far as we know, health reasons where he needs to step away altogether. He's not leaving the game. He's moving to the front office. Is it just a matter of time, commitment, travel, stress? You know, why, why not leave the game entirely if you're going to leave this position that you've always had that you're – you're fantastic at your experience, unprecedented success at right now. Well, and how how wildly different is the South now? Like, I mean, uh, the the NFC South now all of a sudden we, there's no Sean Payton, there's no Bruce Arians. Like, I 
I have no idea what we're supposed to expect from from anybody there. You have to think, to your point, that if Todd Bowles is is rising as the successor to this, that it's something that Brady and the organization is particularly comfortable with. But uh, there's transition through any of it. I mean, Todd Bowles may have tremendous success in this opportunity, but let's also be honest, he was fired from his last chance as a head coach, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, now you've got that sort of uh, second chance coming into this. It's just... The timing of it, too, right before the draft? I mean, we're weeks before the draft, and now all of a sudden you have a different coach that may have a different philosophy on how things are going to run? Like, this is the, – the the ability to quickly uh, audible to this for the entire organization, It would it's going to be very difficult to me. Wow. This is this is absolutely wild news. Um, Bruce Arians and, and Tom Brady, like we said, regardless of whether there was any sort of – conflict in decision making they found great success together and i would have to assume fitz that they consulted with tom brady or at least considered his relationship with todd bowles before making this decision yeah you would have to think because otherwise now things will get particularly uh particularly prickly uh, with brady uh, but you've got to believe that that yes brady's comfortable with this and that it's going there's going to be some stability but that's hard to see right now yeah, I guess he told Peter King it hit him after the Super Bowl, thought hard about going out on top, then was like, man, let's go for two. Then it was a grind with all the injuries last year. They were still winning, but a couple weeks after he thought, if I quit, my coaches get fired. I couldn't do it then. So he waited so that he could transition instead of quitting and seeing his guys go. Interesting. We'll get into that situation in 15 minutes, but what's going on with the Lakers? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, the big breaking news is you just heard on SportsCenter, and we'll get back to the discussion about it in just a minute. Bruce Arians will be retiring from coaching to move to the Buccaneers' front office. So that according to uh, Peter King. So defensive coordinator Todd Bowles has been picked to replace him. The staff's being told now they expect to do a press conference tomorrow. All sorts of break. It's a day, which means there's breaking news in the Mm -hmm. NFL. We'll get back Mm -hmm. to breaking all of that down, but it's a day, which also means we get to talk about the Lakers. That's what happens. Uh, So to get some expertise on that, uh, we'll hang out now with Dave McMiniman, ESPN NBA reporter. Uh, Dave, obviously the Lakers take a loss last night, has the whole world up in their fields. They may miss the play-in tournament. Do they even deserve to be a playoff team at this point in your mind? Yeah, it's a day that ends in Y, Jason. So we have to talk about the Lakers coming off a loss, and that's what it's been <laughs> this year. They, they don't. I mean, the play-in tournament was not intended to be introduced to the long-standing tradition of the NBA to have a team that is, what, now 12 games under 500 through 75 games back into it. No, certainly not. Uh, listen, I understand there have been circumstances beyond their control this year. They've only played 20 games with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook in the lineup together. And in those 20 games, they're 11-9. and nine. Like, that's not a world beater of a team, but that's not the embarrassing train wreck that we've had to cover this year. But that's gone out of their control. They had the COVID splash like many teams did, but it did really – hurt their team back in December where you know they were cycling through 10-day players. Uh, but at this point, if the team's not showing any fight, get a young team in there that will. Uh, get Greg Popovich on his final coaching uh, voyage uh, with uh, Dante Murray, who was an all-star this year. Get, get a team like New Orleans uh, that has uh, had to deal with being the 
supposed getting the wrong end of the deal with Anthony Davis. And well, now things are coming back around a little bit. Um, but this Lakers team, there's no joy to the product they're bringing to the court right now. And you could talk yourself into LeBron and AD returning Friday for the final, whatever, five-game sprint at that point. Maybe. Uh, but but right now, uh, you know, they're going to need more than LeBron and AD. And the guys who were on the court last night were down 37 in the first half. Dave McMenamin's with us here on Spain and Fitz. You know, Dave, we very famously heard LeBron's thoughts on the play-in tournament when his team was firmly in the regular playoff hunt. Uh, he said whoever invented it should get fired. Now that his team desperately needs a play-in tournament in order to get a look in the postseason, uh, we haven't heard much. Has anybody on the beat asked him his thoughts about it now? Yeah, I think he was asked uh, roughly about a month ago when it, we were starting to come to grips with this grim reality that, that the play-in tournament would be their only uh, chance to get in. And, and you know, he just said that at that time he was focused on the game ahead of them and, and trying to build the habits that they're going to need uh, because their goal for this season has always been not just getting into the playoffs but making some noise once they're there. So however they get in, whether it be the play-in, whether it be – being a six seed or higher and making the postseason outright, um, you know, the, LeBron wasn't looking to rehash a comment he made three years ago. We're talking to ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So what what next? Well, what next is they're going to have a, a really tough game in Utah against an angry Jazz team who just came off a 25-point um embarrassment of their own in Los Angeles against Clippers. They couldn't hold on to that lead. The jazz franchise was 235 and oh, all time when leading by 24 points or more in a game. And then the Clippers hanging an L on them. The jazz have lost five in a row. The Lakers have beat the jazz already twice this year. Of course, that's what LeBron was in the lineup. And so the jazz have plenty of motivation playing their home court Lakers at the end of a long road trip. Um, uh, and, and so you would, Assume things would continue to go poorly for the Lakers on Thursday night. Then they have the second night of back-to-back on Friday. I reported yesterday that Anthony Davis uh, is hoping to be able to play by then. Uh, he hasn't played since February 16 with his mid-foot sprain. LeBron left the trip early to continue his rehab back in Los Angeles. Uh, we don't know his status uh, for Friday. We know he's for sure out on Thursday and you know, you're probably looking at them a game back of the Spurs with six games left to go with the Spurs having an easier schedule the rest of the way and the Spurs holding the tiebreaker. So the Lakers, a team that hasn't even won two games in a row in nearly two full months, is probably going to be in a position from Friday onward needing to win, let's say, five of their final six to give themselves a realistic chance. Dave McMenamin is with us. You can follow him at Mc10. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. LeBron's listed as out for Thursday. Um, we know that he's pursuing the scoring uh, title and has how many more two two and a half, two games that he has to play in in order to be eligible. Do you think that that's a priority for him as the season is ending? I think his priority is, is when he's healthy to play basketball. That's been his priority literally his entire career. I, I, certainly to have something to show for this season uh, in terms of 
an unprecedented achievement for a player in his 19th year to get the scoring title. Of course, that matters to him. But uh, like, if he can play, uh, he will play. He won't come back just for two games to become eligible for the scoring title. He'll play as many games as he possibly can play. Well, I meant, I meant if the play. team slides and there's and there isn't a, a pursuit of anything, he might shut it down just to save himself as an older player. But there is a, a reason. No, for him to I, get I reported those games. weeks ago. He's not. There's no plan for LeBron to shut it down this season. Yeah, regardless of injury. So long as he's healthy. Yeah. He has no plan to shut it down. So I mean, the ankle injury. He played the entire second half, the entire second quarter in New Orleans with it. Obviously, it swelled up since. Um, but uh, you know, I haven't heard any signaling that this is um, something that would require him to, to not play the rest of the year. So, Dave, by the time we get to the full body of work on all of this, how much blame does Frank Vogel take for what what this season has looked like? I mean, I don't know if he is the one who should be left holding the bag, but he will be the person left holding the bag. The <laughs> Lakers set himself up for this. They only gave him a one-year contract extension coming off the championship when you see other peers of his, uh, people like Mike Budenholzer gets a three-year extension coming off the championship. Um, and so he's, he's kind of been the lame duck coach the entire season. That is obviously an easier move to make than trying to move uh, Russell Westbrook, who's owed $47 million, or certainly um, Jeannie Buss having to make a very difficult decision when it comes to the front office, when uh, the front office is run by the husband of her best friend in Linda Rambis, Kurt Rambis, and then the best friend of one of the best players ever to play for the team in Kobe Bryant. Um, I, I think those people are entrenched in their position. They may not be able to have an easy avenue to change up the roster. And so as is oftentimes the case in professional sports, uh, the head coach is the easiest thing to change. And, and that's the person who ends up uh, bearing the consequence of a disappointing season. Uh, what does it look like for Russell Westbrook in LA? I know he is under contract for another year and it's a lot of money that he's probably not going to get elsewhere. Has it been uncomfortable enough that he might be willing to give up that money and leave? Or do you think that it's inevitability that he'll stick around? I, I like, I don't know. I, I would be very surprised considering like, even if he looks around his locker room, right? Carmelo Anthony is on a veteran minimum deal. Dwight Howard, veteran minimum deal. Uh, once you get off that big contract, uh, the economics change dramatically. And so I don't think a team out there, if, if Russell was to negotiate a buyout, uh, he's not going to recoup that money in terms of a, a mid-level or any other type of full-fledged contract. He'll get a better minimum deal. And um, so I, I would be very, very surprised uh, if he would have any interest in, in discussing a buyout with the Lakers. Well, you guys should follow him on Twitter, at Mc10, as always. Dave, I appreciate it. One of these days we'll be talking about happy, glorious Lakers things, and it will be fantastic. But we appreciate you coming <laughs> on with us. It happened for like two months uh, <laughs> when the entire uh, country was locked down. <laughs> I didn't quite have the, the, the joy uh, of that experience, I think, for everyone. Oh, well, be well, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yep, you got to go. 
tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast gets you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. All right, the breaking massive news, Bruce Arians retiring from coaching. He will not be the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. We'll get to the latest, and we'll explain it all next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm sorry, I got briefly distracted by a old photo of our producer Devin doing Taekwondo. There are some small children looking to be unharmed in the process, covering the back of their necks as if a bear attack is imminent. And then there's a really <laughs> nice stash happening on one guy who's holding up a board to get kicked. It's a really impressive shot. Uh, I, I don't know where you found it. I'm going to guess stockphotos.com. I was going to say Getty Images. Like, yeah. what are we doing here, Dev? Yeah. We're just uh, out there. Google Images. But no, sure, we believe you. You're definitely a black belt. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> ESPN Radio, Jeez. ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Bruce Arians retiring from coaching and moving to the Bucks. We're hoping to get Adam Schefter on to talk about it in a little bit, but... This is uh, this is literally not surprising at all. The entire offseason, every time we try to talk about anything but the NFL, they Kool-Aid man through the wall with a massive trade, a huge contract, a coach retiring. It's just been, um, it's been an insane offseason. I think this is the 10th NFL team that will have a new coach this season. Now, the timing of this... Uh, is is in detail both in the Peter King story and he broke the news and in an official statement from the Bucks, He talked about how he thought about this after their Super Bowl win, then decided let's try to run it back and go for two. Struggles with health this season made it a little bit difficult, but they were still really in contention and had a team that could potentially win a Super Bowl. And as the season closed, he, he realized he wanted to step back and, and move to a front office position. But he decided in the timing um, that he didn't want to just step down because his staff would likely then be fired as is the case in the NFL. If a head coach leaves, usually the coaches around that person will be relieved when they bring in someone new. So he waited till now essentially to let Todd Bowles move into the job and allow for the majority of the rest of the staff to stay. Uh, Fitz, I don't know what this means for the Rooney role. Uh, you need at least two minority coaches to be interviewed for every head coach opening. But it happened after the start of the league year in mid-March. And you can only allow coaching interviews after the regular season. Um, they would have to have set a new precedent allowing coach interviews now. So it feels like maybe they all work together to allow this transition of power and circumvent that rule, even though... They have uh, this is this is their fourth head coach who's a minority, which is two more than any other team has ever had. And obviously, Todd Bowles is a is a coach that fits the Rooney rule. So maybe that's part of the reason that they weren't concerned about that circumvention. Well, also Byron Leftwich, their offensive coordinator, was such a hot coaching candidate. I wonder if they'll come back and say, "Hey, we talked to Byron and, and Todd right. both while making that right. decision," which would satisfy the rule. Uh, you know, and it, it, that's all part of this. When you look at what Brady's got to be thinking about, if you're Tom Brady, you left and then you came back, and then you came back to an organization where you're you're not coming back if you're Brady after stepping away for a second. You're not coming back for anything less than a Super Bowl. 
So everything in your mind is going to be, how do we go out and win right now? And when you start talking about win right now, a coaching change just feels like that's an added complication towards the concept of win right now, right? So uh, no matter how much, uh, I love the fact that Todd Bowles and and Mike Golick Jr. tweeted earlier, you know, good for Todd Bowles. He finally gets a chance to be head coach for a real organization. And, uh, you know, I I love him getting another opportunity. But with any new voice comes some level of change so I am curious to see what Brady's reaction to all of this is going to be yeah I completely agree and as you pointed out there were the comments and the questions about the relationship between Arians and Bruce and uh, Brady and listen Tom Brady usually gets what he wants and I think the entire Antonio Brown situation was entirely on Brady and probably created a bit of that rift because Bruce Arians had stuck his neck out on multiple occasions to say that they were not going to take on Antonio Brown and then had to be in the uncomfortable position of facing the press and basically saying, yeah, I don't care. I don't care what happened. I don't care what I said before. You know, we, we like Antonio. We're going to bring him in. And I'm not giving him an out. Maybe he changed his mind because of the talent or what they needed at the position, but it sure felt like he got backed into a corner a little bit there because of the push from Brady. Uh, Now, Peter King, as I mentioned, broke this story. There's a story up on Pro Football Talk from Peter that includes the interview that he did with Arians about this decision. And he asked him, with the odd timing, is there a connection between Brady's return? We, of course, saw Brady after 40 days or 41 days. Basically, Brady celebrated Lent, and he, he gave up football, and then he came <laughs> back. Um, he said, Arians, about that. No, Tom was very in favor of what I'm doing. I mean, I had conflicts with every player I coached because I cussed them all out, including him. Great relationship off the field. So he seemed to downplay that that could have anything to do with this. And I do think you and I were talking about this at the commercial break putting Todd Bowles in charge and allowing Leftwich to continue being the offensive coordinator and having a very uh, one-on-one relationship with Brady and focusing on the offense might have been something that Brady requested. Bowles obviously has more head coach experience and is very deserving of the opportunity. You just wonder what Leftwich is thinking as he got interviews and got a lot of interest and then sees his counterpart at the team get this opportunity. Yeah, I think that's one of the weirdest parts of all of this is, A, they've been able to keep this quiet as they were trying to figure out this transition. That seems difficult to do. Uh, But B, if you're Byron Leftwich and it really looked like he was going to end up being a head coach somewhere and that that isn't what happens. Now you come back. You come back thinking, okay, I'm going to run this back and go through this process next year again. Now all of a sudden... If you go through the process, it's going to be much different. But I can also see where Brady's sitting down saying, look, do whatever you want to do with the rest of the team, but don't change my day-to-day life. Like, my day-to-day life was about sitting down with Byron Leftwich and working on a plan, and I don't want that to change. And if I'm the Bucks, and I know I'm losing Arians, that's the fine. If that's what Brady wants to keep him happy, I'm doing that without question. Yeah, agreed. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, We're all morons, so of course, Brady to Miami immediately started trending. People on Twitter, wait, wait, is Brady to Miami real? Wait, is this what's happening? Other people tweeting, if Brady to Miami is your reaction to this, it is definitely not the accurate response. Um, It's not... It's, it's not happening. Uh, I, well, listen, why the hell would I presume to know anything about what's going to happen in the NFL and specifically with Tom Brady? But no, I do not think that Tom Brady is is going to go to Miami, even though there were reports that they were potentially looking at a deal. If anything, maybe after this season fits, 
if Brady thinks he can't get it done with the Bucks and he wants to go somewhere else and keep playing. But uh, I think it's it's far too late for that. Yeah. Also, seems strange and and fine. Teams may not worry about this as much, but Miami and Tampa doing this sort of a business deal seems like it would be so difficult because now all of a sudden you're sending sort of the beacon of light to another city in the same state and you become Mm – the lesser brand within your own. I mean, I know they're separate market, but they're not in some ways. So, like, I, I, I think it's a real stretch to try and make that happen. I, I know we all love the the sexiness of all of it, but you are right. Also, the one thing I'm no longer going to say this year is that anything's impossible at this point. Every single day, you just wake up, you hold on to your chair, and you say, "What the hell is the NFL going to do today?" Absolutely, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitch, like Fitz Fitch. That's a new one. Every night, every night it's a new one. Jason Fitz, uh, we're going to talk to Schefter about all this. Quick question, we're going to put it up there, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, about Eric Church. You hear this story, you're a country music guy, you understand this. Eric Church canceled a concert so he can go uh, and watch UNC Duke in the Final Four. So we want to ask you, is that okay? As a big sports fan, can you cancel an entire concert because the North Carolina native wants to watch his Tar Heels in this big game with Duke? Uh, We'll get your responses. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. We're also going to talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team getting underway in about five minutes against Costa Rica. Clenching our butts and crossing our fingers that they don't totally blow it tonight. Uh, Adam Schefter is going to join us next to break down this whole Bruce Arians decision and his move to the front office. It's coming up on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN App, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Getting you a little bonus time as we're taking you up to NBA action coming up at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, which means 30 extra minutes of Sarah and I hanging out with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. And the breaking news that has happened, Bruce Arians has decided to step away from the Buccaneers as the head coach. He will instead join the team in a front office uh, role of some sort. So we need to get a breakdown of it from our buddy ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter. Shefty, thanks so much for the time uh, late on this evening. So why now for this decision for Bruce Arians? Well, I think it's been going on. The conversations have been happening here, and I think that he said in his statement, Bruce Arians did, that his health was not an issue, and that's great. You want him to be healthy and right. I still think that later in life, I don't know if his health was perfectly fine, and I think that there are a number of factors that contributed to it. And he is going to move into a consultant role with the Buccaneers office. He is going to have an office in the building. He will be a part of the organization. He's just not going to have the responsibilities and the day-to-day workload that comes along with being a head coach. And they had been in discussions, and Bruce Arians wanted to tell his assistant coaches this evening. And once he did, the team released a statement saying that he would be moving to a front office role and that Todd Bowles would be taking over as the new head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He becomes the fourth black head coach in Buccaneers franchise history, which is two more than any other franchise in across the NFL has had. So Buccaneers go with Todd Bowles. Bruce Arians moves into a front office role. And obviously the league that continues to make major moves has another one, an unexpected one tonight. Yeah, uh, just wild. Schefter, a lot of talk from – uh, the initial reporting and in the statement from the Bucks acknowledging the timing of this. What does this mean in terms of the Rooney rule? What does this mean in terms of Bulls just being elevated as opposed to interviews needing to happen? Why this timing? Yeah. 
Well, they don't need to conduct rules or interviews to appoint Todd Bowles because obviously they've been in compliance with the Rooney Rule there. Um, the, the rule is designed to hire minority coaching candidates. They're doing just that, and so there's no issues there. And Todd Bowles knows that organization and has wanted to become a head coach and obviously the idea was that maybe one day he would take over in Tampa. We just didn't think that that day was going to come today on Wednesday, March 30th, but that's exactly what's happened. And Todd Bowles is the new head coach of the Buccaneers. Shefty, uh, you know, one thing that was tweeted out by Orlovsky earlier tonight was, uh, you know, I wonder what this means for Byron Leftwich. Do you have a sense right now of, of Bowles and what level of actual control he'll have in building a staff, for example? Well, yeah, I, I think they're going over there right now. Like, Again, it's a situation where um, on the defense side of football, I believe that they'll wind up appointing co-defensive uh, coordinators. Uh, some of the names that have been out there, Casey Rogers, uh, who's, who's worked with them before, uh, been with their staff, uh, Larry Foote. And I think people are expecting that those two could wind up sharing the defensive coordinator role here moving forward, which would be interesting. Uh, on the offensive side of the football, obviously, you've got Byron Leftwich. He'll continue on in his role and have an even larger amount of input, I would think, into the game planning and production that goes into a Sunday game plan. But Byron will stay on as the offensive coordinator. Todd Bowles becomes the defense coordinator. And it sounds like Larry Foote and Casey Rogers are in line to become the co-defensive coordinators, though they certainly could decide one over the other. Adam Schefter's with us here on Spain and Fitz. You can follow him at Adam Schefter on Twitter, not Ad Darn Schefter. Always have to double check that. Yeah. Adam, uh, there obviously was talk about some of the butting of heads between Brady and Arians, and certainly we've heard yep. that Tom Brady has an outsized influence on players, coaches, everything that goes on around an NFL team. Is there any reason to believe that this was a prioritization of Tom Brady in his final season or last few seasons? Um, or is this all about a, a decision made by Arians? Well, I, I do think, I do think that it is a decision made by Bruce Arians. I do think that now I do think that there also will be speculation about the question that you asked that will come up. Um, I don't know that we're ever going to say how valid it is or isn't. Um, there's been speculation um, about their relationship, about how well they do or don't get along. I think Tom's got a healthy amount of respect for Bruce Arians, but I think those questions do exist, and I think they'll continue to come up here. And I don't have an exact answer for you, other than those questions will be asked, which I think is in and of itself something that is of note. Yeah, it's uh, it's the latest breaking news from the NFL. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Bruce Arians stepping down as head coach and moving to the front office. That's another interesting aspect of it, Shafter, because it isn't just I, I want to spend time with my family or uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to be done with the game. He's moving to another role within the organization. Is that more about the demands of a coaching job as opposed to um, – Again, like we said, that, that speculation about just moving positions because of the, the relationships. Well, I, I think that, again, uh, when you look at it, uh, I, I think, uh, honestly, Bruce said in his statement that he had achieved everything that he wanted to as a head coach. He's 69 years old. He's going to be 70 years old this season. Uh, he's somebody that has had an awful lot of fun in life. He's lived it to its fullest, okay? 
And so nobody's had any more fun than Bruce Arians. <laughs> and, and, and and if you get my drift. And so I, I just think that, you know, eventually that nobody can sustain that pace forever uh, yeah. when you're going to be seven years old in coaching. And it's probably easier for him to shepherd along the guys that he believes in and feels strongly about and Todd Bowles and Larry Foote, Casey Rogers, Byron Leftwich, hand it off to them at a time that he feels comfortable, have a role with the team, but not a role that is as demanding as the one of being a head coach and obviously having the organization transition. And I just think, you know, that that's largely what this is all about here. Yeah. Adam Schefter is with us here on Spade and Fitz as we react to the Bruce Arians news. Um, what does this do for the Bucks in terms of their standing in the NFC South? Well, look, Tom Brady's back. So as long as he's back, they're the favorites. And when he unretired on the Sunday night before free agency began, that positioned Tampa where it needed to be. Now, New Orleans thinks they can take on the Buccaneers the Panthers have some questions. The Falcons have questions. So you'd have to figure that this would be a two-division race going into the season. And I don't know how much of a bearing that. Tampa Bay has got a strong team, whether Bruce Arians was going to be there or not. It's not a reflection of his coaching, but if you've got Tom Brady playing quarterback, your team is going to have a chance every year, and this team is going to have a chance this upcoming year. Shefty, you know, when you make that transition to Todd Bowles, it's it's uh, clearly a benefit to him that they believe in him and that they essentially time this so that he can be immediately turned into the head coach and not go through the rigmarole of interviews and, and potential uh, staff leaving. But there might be something that Todd Bowles wants from a staff that isn't what Bruce Arians had. Is there an awkward position now for Bowles if he would want to replace people or assistants or bring in other folks that, that Bruce didn't, that the timing sort of limits his ability to make this team his own this season? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think Bruce Arians is smart enough to know uh, what a head coach's job is. And when he steps up to the front office, to a consultant's role. He knows how to stay out of the way of the head coach. I think that he'll be there to offer guidance when needed, and he'll be savvy enough to know to stay out of the way, largely. And I don't think that will be an issue. It's not like Todd Bowles will be looking over his shoulder and wondering if Bruce Arians is coming back, although in this league, as we see time and time again, anything's possible. But no, that's not going to be an issue. I think Bruce Arians is going to take his spot, step back, physically, literally, in every sense of the word, and hand it off to Todd Bowles to have Todd Bowles run the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So quickly then, you don't think the timing for Todd makes it any more difficult in terms of establishing this as his team and making switches in staff? Not in the slightest. No, the staff was intact. They're they're losing their head coach and that's it. Yeah, that's what I mean, though, that he wouldn't want to make changes because it's now his team and it's not about who Bruce Arians would have put in those positions. Yeah, but but, but a lot guys or guys that they've worked with this staff has been together this staff has won a super bowl together yeah i mean maybe there might be some tweaks that he wants to do but i, I no I, I think the staff is in place and i'm sure todd is more than fine with it awesome stuff Schefter. uh we lost fits to a power outage so i hope wherever you are it's not storming as badly and we really appreciate you dropping on at the last minute to talk about this no, no problem my pleasure have a great night thank you for having me adam Schefter, espn nfl insider on spain and fits talking about the 
surprising, shocking Bruce Arians news, stepping down as head coach of the Bucks to move to the front office. Todd Bowles will be elevated to take over. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, if Fitz is back, he'll join me to talk about some NBA action tonight. And if he's not, I, I'll just party by myself. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So the NFL uh, trying to disrupt yet another off-season show here as we try to discuss other things with the news that Bruce Arians is stepping down as the head coach of the Bucks, moving to the front office. Todd Bowles taking his spot. Obviously, any more updates we have on that, we'll let you know. Tom Brady has posted a statement to his social media thanking Bruce Arians, uh, praising him. Uh, perhaps trying to shout down any claims that he manipulated this situation into uh, getting getting Bruce to step down. Uh, but we will give you any more updates we get here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz is back. He might sound like a robot uh, yeah, with the no, 70 I mean, mile per hour winds, but I think we got him back. Uh, I think I think we got him back. So that's Nashville's good. just trying to blow me away. That's all. There you, you know, go. It's, it's, there fine. You go. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, quickly. Uh, we were going to get into the U.S. men's national team earlier. I want to mention that game is underway now. They are playing Costa Rica. They just need to win, draw, or lose by fewer than six goals. That's it. <laughs> and they're in the World Cup. Even if they lost 5 nothing, they would still be in the World Cup. They just need to not completely and totally blow it. Uh, prime position for them related in soccer news today out in Spain. Barcelona, Real Madrid, Women's Champions League clash breaks the all-time attendance record for a women's women's footy game. 91,000 people. Oh, my God. 91,000. Now, some people think that there was a Denmark-Mexico match back in the 70s in the World Cup uh, that uh, was at over 110,000. Not officially sanctioned, not uh, recorded officially. So this will go down as the official recorded highest attended women's match 91,553 supporters for Barcelona Real Madrid and the visuals fits from that were just incredible if y'all haven't looked up some of them uh just seeing the the insanity of the crowd the excitement as the crowd filtered in and then from inside uh Barcelona winning that one 5-2 yeah, and, and incredible, by the way. Like, you think about that level of, of crowd and you think about that level of popularity, but also just one experience for everybody involved mm-hmm. in that game to say, hey, you played in that one. Like, that is just such a, really a cool. different uh, different experience than you'll ever have the rest of your life. It's been a real tough day for the old nobody cares about uh, women's sports crowd. Uh, more of a tough week, really. If you look, you've got that record. You've got four of the top five name, image, and likeness athletes in the men's and women's NCAA tournaments are women. I don't know if you saw that. Mm, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, really, really cool. Uh, it's uh, it's four women's players, and then a smack in the middle, number three, uh, is Banchero from Duke. Uh, so the only guy that made the top five in that. Um, tough tough for that crowd. I feel so sad for them. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, <laughs> Jason Fitz. We asked Do we, you, though? No, I don't. No. I was I was being sarcastic. Uh, we asked you earlier in the show about country musician Eric Church, who's also a North Carolina native. He sent out a message to all of his fans uh, and said he is canceling. And allegedly it is a cancellation and not a postponement. Canceling his concert on Sunday so he can watch his Tar Heels take on Duke uh, Saturday. Uh, so Saturday is the concert. Saturday was the concert. Saturday is the game. So we asked you. 
Are you cool with that? Yes, he's a true fan. Or no, you should stick with your commitment. And 54.7% of people are okay with him canceling his show. Uh, one guy here at Bevy Sanchez, I'm leaving my wife at home in Maryland while I go to New Orleans to watch the final four. We're supposed to celebrate our 10th wedding anniversary and also go to my sister and her husband's 30th celebration. I've celebrated many an anniversary, but I've never seen Duke versus UNC final four. I understand. I think Eric Church fans also, many of them understand because, frankly, they know how, how much this is in his blood. Like, this is what he loves. And, you know, certainly if I if I had a show uh, that, that was going to interfere with going to see the Raiders play in a Super Bowl, I'd be out. Like, uh, there, there's no way, Sarah. I, I love working with you, but if the Raiders are in the AFC Championship game and we have a show, I'm going to miss it. So, That's you know, a lot looking- easier, though. There are not people who have already paid for flights, hotel, etc. You know what I mean? That's the aspect that I think is the only thing that stands out to me. Postponing a, a concert, okay. But uh, there is an element of you got a multimillionaire who prioritized something that he wants to go to, and the issue is that for a lot of his fans, they're not going to get refunds on those flights and hotels and everything else. Yeah, that is that is absolutely fair. If this was a massive festival, like once in a world, once in a lifetime sort of thing, I think I would look at it a little differently. For me, what I'm looking at is like if I go to Eric Church's website right now, he's got easy, easy 40 shows on the books this year. Now, that doesn't mean that people weren't, you know, looking forward to San Antonio particularly. But this was just a normal Eric Church show on a normal weekend. You know, I I, I think for me, if it had been Lollapalooza sort of thing that impacted everybody, I would see it a little bit more harshly. But if it's just an Eric Church show, you know, I feel like they could find another one to go to. But you're right. There are people like look at what a dealt with with all the people that were headed to Vegas to watch her there and then wasn't able to uh, to start that residence. So I, I definitely see that. Yeah, that's a that's a more reasonable human uh, approach from you than than my, you know, put your head down and, and just, yeah. yeah no, shocking. No, um, no, but I do understand it is this once in a lifetime thing. Again, they've played over 500 times, never once met in the tournament. So uh, I get the, the desire to be there and how special it's going to be. I do just think, unfortunately, because it's short notice, uh, there are a lot of folks who probably spent a lot of money that they're not getting back. Hopefully they find something else to do that night, make good on the hotels and, and flights and everything else. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We got some good NBA action tonight, which is why you got an XL Spain and Fitz show taking you right into the pre-game coverage uh, for the Warriors tonight and the Suns. Suns 61 and 14. Mm. Warriors sitting at 48 and 28. Tip off at 10 Eastern uh, coverage right here on ESPN Radio with the pregame starting in about five minutes. We also have Celtics Heat in a tight game in the third quarter. We've got C.J. McCollum and his Pelicans back in Portland as he visits the team that he spent nine and a half seasons with. Um, a lot of good stuff on, on 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 the slate tonight. What do you got your eye on, Fitz? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this Miami-Boston game actually has a lot of significance still because it, as we get down the stretch, what's really been nice with the scheduling gods is they've given us – teams that have a lot to play for and this Miami mm-hmm. team you mentioned earlier the fact that we're not giving the Bucks as much love as we should be and I think we agree on that I think the Heat are also flying a little under the, under the radar in the sense that they've been really consistently good this year but I don't know that it's gotten the same level of traction that the drama gets so uh, Miami Boston to me there's a lot to play for in that one so I think that's a good one I agree. I think uh, I think that's one to keep an eye on it's uh, late in the third tied at 74 
You know, I think obviously with the Warriors, when you don't have Steph, it's just not going to give you the same vibe. It's, of course, a huge game in terms of seeding, and this was a matchup that we all battled uh, about who's got the edge in the West. Um, It's hard to argue anything but the Suns, not only with that record, uh, but with understanding how much uh, the, the Warriors will struggle without everyone being healthy, you know? Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.